Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Everybody, welcome to the Once Bitten podcast. Joining me on this show are Eric and Obi, who are going to talk to us about gridless energy and the projects that they are working on and already rolling out across Africa with micro mining grids or rigs with hydropower, rebuilding communities and um, using Bitcoin to do all the good stuff, which is why we are here. I really hope you enjoy this episode. I think uh, many of you are going to learn a lot of new things and probably have a few epiphanies drop of your own. Please reach out to Eric or Obi after the show. If, the, if you think there is any way at all in which you are able to help them grow, or if you just want to simply learn more or figure out how to do some kind of project like this in an area in which you want to uh, live or help, uh, both of them are very open to these discussions. So thank you for coming on, guys. Really appreciate you giving up the time. Now, are you meeting your Bitcoiners? everybody out there listening this is the year that we really start building out the social layer of bitcoin this conversation is coming up more and more not just on this pod but on others as well orange pill app they dropped in november i was lucky enough and honored enough to be asked to join that board of advisors which is now packed with a bunch of very very cool bitcoiners which you all know with the idea of building out this social layer of Bitcoin and making sure we are all meeting each other and can be found. So you just simply download the Orange Peel app. It is paid. It's $2.99 per month. So give it a, give it a, give it a try first. If, it's, if there's not enough people on it in your area, just close it down, leave it alone, cancel the subscription and come back in six to nine months or so. But so many people are finding great success and I'm going to start running success stories. I've already had Jeremy Hodler on. He was in Miami, he was at the booth telling everybody about it, what great times he's been having, finding people, how it's changed his life. And everybody is here for the same thing. We all want to work together, push Bitcoin forward, and we can only do that if we know where each other are. The events tab on Orange Pill App is incredible. You just keep scrolling. There's meetups everywhere, and these are events all around the world. So you can find your people. So go check it out orangepillapp.com hit the link in the show notes make sure you're stacking sats as well obviously we are 11 months away from the halving Croesus has written a brilliant piece about that if you are new-ish to bitcoin and you don't understand that terminology what the halving is listen to my interview with Croesus and Andrew Edstrom just uh, a few shows back and you'll be fully tuned in he's written a great article so it's important to keep your foot on the gas. Keep that DCA going. Buy as much Bitcoin as you can, when you can. Don't get overstretched. Dollar cost average is a perfect strategy for that. You can do that with swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten and use the code bitten. That will get you a free 10 bucks worth of Bitcoin. Coin Corner are out of the UK and Isle of Man. They serve Europe and Britain. 
So euros or pounds you can use to set up your auto buys with Coin Corner or smash buy with them as well. Relay are based out of Europe. You can use Relay if you're in the UK and you've got Revolut account, just switch from Sterling to Euro and you set up your account with Relay. They have a private service, as do Swan. They have um, private for business. They have merchant accounts. They have absolutely everything you could ever want. Education, how do you get out of your retirement? Both companies are there to help you on both sides of the pond. If you need to get in touch with either of those companies, please let me know, I'll direct you. If you want KYC free sats, that is HODL HODL. Hit the link in the show notes, you will save on commission. They are a global peer-to-peer trading platform, so that means you can get out of any fiat currency and into some Bitcoin without a KYC process. They are also putting on the the Baltic Honey Badger, 3rd of September, and they have offered listeners of this show a 10% discount on the price of the tickets. The ticket prices have gone up since they first announced, but they are offering a 10% discount to listeners of Once Bitten. So use the code Bitten at checkout. Shiv, uh, if you want to up your privacy, make sure you download wasabiwallet.io and start educating yourself about CoinJoin services. You can run some Satoshis through there and watch the magic happen as those coins will be CoinJoined before you move them into cold storage. Shiftcrypto.ch forward slash Bitten have you covered. Use the code Bitten for 5% off. Get to Liberty Now Lifetime in Prague in October for Parallel Structures Conference by Free Cities Foundation and get to BTC Prague in a few weeks. Get those tickets. Use Bitten at checkout for discounts. Enjoy this one with Obi and Eric. All right, guys. Good to have you on the show. Eric, Obi, how are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me, Daniel. Always good to be here. Yeah, it's uh, Obi, um, long time... Long time listener, long time uh, guest, and uh, long time supporter. So uh, thank you as always for everything you're doing in the Bitcoin space. Uh, we've got lots to talk about as usual. And Eric, first time I'm meeting you, so it's uh, it's an honor to to welcome you to the Once Bitten podcast. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to be here. Well, why don't we get a, a little bit of background, and uh, we'll start with Eric. Uh, let's um, let's get a little kind of nutshell. Of, uh, of who you are and uh, and why you're here and what you're doing in the Bitcoin space. Yeah, sure. Um, so Eric Hersman, I'm the CEO and one of the founders of Gridless. Um, Gridless, we do Bitcoin mining, uh, but we do it in places that are a little bit more rural and off-grid. Uh, so we do mini grids, uh, partner with mini grid power producers in rural Africa uh, to help them use their stranded energy. All right, excellent. So, Obi, how do you slot into this call? What? Why is Obi on a a gridless mining call when you are doing Feddy and you're on the board of Jack's Fund and everything else that you're doing in Bitcoin? What? What? Uh, what's your link here? Uh, well, I think the the best way to describe it is is good fortune and luck uh, and a shared shared vision. Um, I. All these things have been common. Um, they they empower communities everywhere. Um, and something I was always been interested in um, from the beginning of Bitcoin is how we can empower communities in the global south, especially in Africa. Um, so B Trust is empowering engineers in the global south so they can empower Bitcoin 
which is used by people everywhere. Um, Fedi is empowering communities everywhere, but initial focus in the global south because they have been innovating in the space of community custody for decades, if not centuries. Um, and the last thing that I'd always wanted to be able to do is invest in a uh, in a powerful Bitcoin mining um, opportunity that was empowering communities in the global south. But if you're doing Bitcoin mining, you're empowering Bitcoin everywhere. Um, and I can go into more detail, but uh, a connection via our mutual friend Alex Gladstein in Oslo Freedom Forum last year, um, the same year, at the same time, it was the same place where I came. Um, eventually, Fedi was launched. Um, meant that I, I connected with Eric and after just, a, I think it was probably, Eric, how long do you think it was? Like 30 minutes of talking to each other and I realized I had a, a, a brother from another mother philosophically <laughs> and uh, and then it, it just went crazy from from there. But it, Eric, I think it was like literally half an hour we just realized that this was, this was, a, yeah. we were, this was a connection. Yeah, it was uh, it was one of those funny situations where I had just come back from a run, so he's meeting this bald, red bearded, you know, big dude in Oslo, all sweaty from a run, and Alex puts us in touch with each other, and we start talking, and we're like, okay, there's something going on here. Uh, we need to we need to make sure we have another conversation. But yeah, I think the next day we probably spent two and a half, three hours together, um, you know, walking through everything about uh, what this could look like, um, the opportunities, uh, and. Yeah, it's it just kind of steamrolled from there. So, what point were you at with Gridless when when you and Obi first had this conversation? Then, so we'd set up a couple small um, mines as proof of uh, concept, and then we um, and we were looking to raise our capital right for the the very first round of just uh, angel investors that were coming in, and uh, and so we already had our lead investor. And we already had, you know, some miners running, but we didn't have any any major stuff happening yet. So it's still pretty early in the in the process. Um, yeah, but then you know that that happened, and we were able to kind of um, move pretty quickly afterwards. So yeah, it worked out. It worked out quite well. I think we have to. Yeah. We all have to kind of buy Alex a, a drink at some point. <laughs> we we definitely do. Definitely do. Um, I I I. I tried to take it upon myself to thank him. I think it probably about three or four times the last year for connecting us. Um, and because I'm just incredibly happy about it. Um, I think the following that we talked for a while, um, and I knew that I wanted to not only invest in a business in this space and, and he, um, Eric effectively described um, and his co-founder Phil Philip uh, described literally the perfect business that I'd been looking for in, in my mind. It was like, in fact, it was better than I could imagine. Um, and Eric can go into the details. Um, and then there was one other bit that um, you know, a longtime friend. Um, um, I connected with Eric as well, and they started talking um, from who uh, a guy called um, Marshall Marshall Long who's a long-time Bitcoin miner. I wanted to connect someone who I knew who'd sort of worked away from the ground up, did everything from, and was still very much in touch with the bare metal of mining all the way through to building very large organizations. Um, and they, again, hit it off. I'm sometimes jealous because they hit it off even because they're both super 
you know, mechanically minded, um, technically minded engineers um, who deal with bare metal hardware. Um, and that's when I also knew that I, I had to get involved because the connection between the two of them was also so instant and so deep. Yeah. So what, you know, what happened, I think is uh, we didn't have, I mean, we're, we have a, a good deal of experience with hardware, software, of course, but also infrastructure in Africa, but we didn't have uh, a great deal of experience with mining. Um, and so the connection that, uh, that Obi made to Marshall was really significant for us because it allowed us to um, kind of use his experience. You know, my, my old mentor used to say, what's experience? Well, experience is knowing what not to do. And so Marshall brought that to us, right? He, he brought in this understanding of, hey, no, 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 listen, you think that, but it's not that, go this way. And in allowing us to help, uh, or, uh, allowing us to go in a direction where we make fewer error, errors when we have less capital and, and we're just getting started. That's a, that's a huge advantage for, for a young company is, is having people with knowledge who can direct you in the right, in the right way. Um, but yeah, so Philip uh, is one of my co-founders alongside Janet. Philip and Marshall are both Janet. very. So, what's that? No, I said of course Janet as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll, Janet we'll runs up. Philip later. is uh, CTO uh, slash CFO, and he he is very technically minded. So him and Marshall hit it off really well as as well. And um, and then we we ended up uh, pulling both Obi and Marshall into Kenya to actually see one of the first mining locations. And uh, and I think that was a good trip. Uh, I think because it crystallized in their heads what's actually going on on the ground. And I think this is what people miss a lot of the time. There's a story about it and there's some pictures or videos online and it's it sounds interesting. Um, it is interesting. Uh, but once you get on the ground, you actually see what's going on. It, it, it brings a little bit different um, light to what's happening. And, and more importantly for us, what it did is it crystallized in Marshall's head what the difference is, you know, having like 12 years of experience in Bitcoin mining uh, in the US and China and saying, oh, the difference between Africa and everywhere else in the world is you don't have good grid. And because you don't have good grid, that you that means that these guys really have stranded energy and therein lies the value, right? That, that if you can go and find that stranded energy from these small mini grid power providers, then you can really solve a problem for them, make it financially viable for them. Uh, you get a much better deal on your energy costs, uh, which is obviously our biggest operational expense. And um, and there's a downstream community benefit from it. There's this there's this really good scenario that that develops. And so just hearing him talk about it and saying, oh, okay, this is a big thing. Maybe we weren't we weren't wrong about that. Um, and then having his his operational background and how to execute against it. Uh, has been super super valuable. So, what does it look like then? That this that this first one that Obi come and visited. What what's um, yeah? Talk us through it as if you're giving us a, a little tour. I mean, I think Obi should talk you through it. He means he, he was the guy oh. who was seeing it for the first time. Remember walking down that dirt road when the, mm. when the truck got stuck. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so it first of all, this is rural Kenya. This isn't just play rural Kenya. We had this truck which is designed you know all-wheel drive designed to going incredibly um difficult environments and and it wasn't raining because apparently a few days before it had been raining it'd been even worse with mudslides um and um even then the truck couldn't go down to where this mine was so the point here was 
when we talk about you can Bitcoin mine anywhere, it's just like, you know, sweltering heat, um, quite high levels of humidity, and even these sort of trucks couldn't get there. That's where we were. Um, there was a lot of uh, coffee uh, leaves everywhere because that's a, a big part of the uh, economy there locally. Um, it's beautiful, a, a naturally beautiful place. And we were walking down this this uh, ridge towards this um, um, towards this mine, um, and you could start hearing the sound of the water as you approached. And then finally, you turn around this corner. It's very actually very epic if I could visualize it, and you see this vista with um, you know coffee plants and um, various houses in uh, that are uh, that are where um, residents live um, of the of the village of the community, and they're dotted around this this environment. And then you see this stream, you know, nature's water just flushing through, and there's this small box you know um next to the street and you walk and then so you walked up to this this box and inside this box um is is um a hydro a mini grid hydro plant taking water through um and it's turning a turbine conceptually very simple and that turbine generates um electricity and then next to it Within this same box, so they didn't even have to make a separate enclosure, a separate um, um, building. Within within that box, there was space because of the because of the sort of efficiency of turning electricity into money that you have from mining. We were able; they were able to place uh, an enclosure within that um, box, within that small uh, hut-like um, um, building, and that was converting um, energy this energy that was coming from hydro into into bitcoin and that was that was one of the things that struck me you had these two noises you had this noise of um of water being turned into electricity from the hydro plant and it was this sort of low low um decibel a low um sort of frequency sort of whir it was like this was the sound of 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 um, nature being turned into electricity and then next to it was this sort of high pitch sort of um, um, this sound like this high end, which was the sound of energy being turned into money. And they were right next to each other, leading to this sort of really beautiful um, sort of audio um, um, sort of chorus. So, yeah, and, and it was it was a sight to behold. Um, and, you know, we were, we were, we were bringing electricity to this, to the to the. To the um, community um and you were also bringing um yeah, um you know financial improvement to them because you're saving costs etc etc and it was benefiting the world because you're mining transactions um and you were producing energy cleanly it was just a win-win-win for everybody and it was all packed into this i don't know what is it three four meter by four meter box <laughs> yeah it's probably five by five but it's not very big yeah. So not even an that's eyesore. Right. It's, it's not even an eyesore, and it's not. I mean, the, the the sound isn't that deafening either. Well, it's lower than the sound of the the the, the rushing water next. Right. To it. If you're not inside the the box, you if you walk outside the box and shut it down, then you have the sound of nature. This rushing water past you, you can't hear it from a meter away. Amazing. So, 
how then, Eric, did you find this place to go and try this out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's start. Yeah, it's it's funny because like things are very relational in Africa. Um, how you find things is you just talk to people and they know somebody and then they know somebody. And so it had started a few years earlier where I have um I have some cottages up in the mountains there. And I had I've been thinking about doing this and I'd seen where so as it so often happens in Africa, somebody had this idea to build a um a small power site for mini grid, and then the community put their money together. Somebody started doing it and then it didn't quite get finished. Maybe somebody ran away with the money. Maybe it was just mismanaged, whatever. Um, and that was just upstream from me, um, call it 400 meters away from my, my cottage. And I was like, okay, um, why couldn't we do some Bitcoin mining on this if this was refurbished? And started talking to some of my, you know, it's it's all just big tea country up there. And I talked to one of my friends in the in the community and he said, well, you know, a guy started that um, a little while ago and ran away with the money. But there's another guy, uh, a Kenyan guy who lives 10 kilometers away, mm. who's actually built his own hydro from scratch. And I was like, really? So he had really cobbled something together, made, you know, made up of locally available materials. It was just a small site. I think this, I think the first one was maybe 10 kilowatts. Um, and it was, you know, as you can imagine, not very efficient, um, but it worked. And, um, and so I said, well, let's, let's, let's see if we can sit down with them. So it takes a few months. We finally be, are able to sit down. I say, Hey, listen, I want to start Bitcoin mining up here. Um, I need to buy stranded energy. Do you, you know, I said, well, we've been building out some new sites. I actually have another one that's already 70 kilowatts turned out to be 50 kilowatts. There's another site that we're building that should be 500 kilowatts. I was like, well, um, how much stranded energy do you have on that other one? He said, well, it's just downstream from my first one. And um, I've got somewhere between 20 to maybe 30 kilowatts available on it that the community isn't using. I said, well, let's just throw some Bitcoin miners in there. And so that's what we did. And um, turns out that he had partnered with another guy um, and they had started to build out a company called Hydrobox. So John was the guy who built the first um uh, turbine in in that part of Kenya, and then the second guy, his name is Thomas. He's actually Belgian, and um, they they formed a company called Hydrobox, and they started building out more and more of these sites. So now they have, I want to say, five or six mini grid mm -hmm. sites in Kenya, and they have like ten or eleven more on the horizon. And we sat down with them, and this was probably six nine months before Obi and I met. And they got really interested because there's a, there's a specific problem you have as a mini grid operator, which is nobody wants to finance you um, because everybody knows it's not sustainable and you can't make money. Um, and so, and why is that, right? Why is it that you can't be sustainable as a mini grid operator? It's because there's no, generally speaking, in, in these small rural areas where people need the energy and there's no grid means that there's no industry either. And so if you have no industrial offtaker, then you you are really at the mercies of the community slowly getting energized over five or 10 years. And there's this big gap between what you can make as far as electricity, how much does it cost to make it, and how long it is until you can actually start monetizing it. Um, and we said, well, listen, we, you know, we're we need to come up with a way to, to do this. Let's figure it out together. They were willing to be creative as well, learn with us. 
And um, and that opened up the doors to the, the first site and then also signing on as their anchor tenant for their new 500 kilowatt site that went live in December. And so that was the site that's our first containerized site. And that's where we had some other visitors come out and see it as well. And uh, and yeah, they've been great partners. Yeah, so how it's a uh, good no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, it's just uh, uh, in in another guys, I, I get an opportunity to uh, talk in Europe um, in, to uh, various policymakers to explain or correct some misunderstandings about Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining. I, I've I've done it with you actually yeah. in uh, one part of one very sunny part of Europe, uh, and and Dan. But um, the thing that I that strikes me is that um, it reminds me of what happens um, and has been solved in parts of small town US and small town Europe, where you have these um, shopping malls that are set up. And in those shopping malls, they they have a lot of a lot of people who are local companies who are smaller, who are who who come to those places and, and they attract a lot of a lot of um, um, footfall and that can help improve their businesses. But by themselves, it's very difficult to make an investment case for the person who's trying to produce a shopping mall to a bank to to lend for it. So. The way they solve it is they have um, anchor tenants. They have, you know, a Macy's or a Tesco's or or a big cinema. And these people provide this regular footfall, this regular revenue stream for these shopping malls. And even if they're only 30, 30% or so of the shopping mall, it's enough to go to the banks who want to lend, but they, they need to have a use case that financially makes sense. And so no, they know that they've got the anchor tenants, they will lend them the money. And that was missing for for these sort of mini grid operators in in um, in Africa, for example. Um, so with gridless, it comes along and it, it can act as this anchor tenant. And as such, it goes from that project being uninvestable and unviable to investable and viable. And then the community gets clean, um, renewable, less expensive um, hydro. And um, and as opposed to this dirty, the, the, the replacement, what they had before was kerosene, paraffin, which is dirty, polluting, can be more expensive. So it's this incredible win-win. And uh, yeah, it, it is something that when you see it all happening and all coming in place and the potential, um, it's mind-blowing and it's also humbling. That's, that's what I wanted to ask about the community. Uh, Eric, so... You you just rock up in the community and you say, hey, we want to, you know, plonk this next to the river, and uh, you're all going to benefit. I mean, how how did those conversations start, and what was kind of the the initial uh, pushback from the community, or or was it just straight away yes? That that there must have been some kind of long form discussions there with the people that actually lived there. So you, you got to remember what we do is we work with the energy provider. So the power guys who are building the thing and they've, they've actually already gone in and worked with the community. Mm -hmm. So then we just piggyback with them and um, we go, you know, depending on the community, we'll go speak with the elders, the chiefs, whoever it is to explain what's happening. Um, 
uh, and then they have an understanding that there's a data center being put in here. Um, generally, there's not very much, if anybody's, there's very few, if any, who have heard of Bitcoin mm -hmm. in these communities. Uh, you, you know, we're, we're quite uh, out, out in the in the rural area. And so um, that's not even part of the conversation most of the time. It's more that there's a data center coming in here that because they're coming in here, either more meters can be created and then more houses can be turned on to electricity or the power of the price is coming down or some other benefit to the community because it exists. Um, and uh, But we really ride behind our energy providers um, because they're the ones who already have that relationship and we don't want to confuse things. Yeah. I um, it's again. This was on the, was it the first trip or the second trip you helped negotiate the? Uh, I could I could interview. Um, I, I was I was doing my really bad impression of Dan 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 that of Princey, <laughs> you know. So I I brought my uh, I still got the video. It's uh, but it's just from my my mobile phone, so I'm not sure the sound quality, uh, but you can hear the conversation. But um, on the first trip. Um, Eric managed to organize for me to talk to one of the first um, one of the first users of of um, of hydro created electricity, and now seeing you know it's being subsidized effectively due to um, gridless. And you know I had some ins I had some ideas of what the benefit of bringing um, sort of uh, clean, um, simple to use electricity to a to a community, but after that conversation, I it just solidified. Um, he he talked about the fact that his kids' grades, things I didn't expect, his kids' grades went up significantly in in school. And why was that? Because they used to have to come home and then walk for one hour or so to to buy um, um, kerosene and paraffin and bring that back. Well, that's time that's taken away from study. So they didn't have to spend that time anymore. They could just flip a switch. Um, on top of that, it was harder to work when it gets dark. So again, they lose time then as well. So that so they gained far more time. Their grades go up. Um, another thing that you saw, health outcomes for elderly people in the village um, improved anecdotally. There lots of people had issues with their lungs. Um, and he said that he mentioned that that went down because, again, kerosene and paraffin um, uh, release various fumes, which is not good to be inhaling all these fumes um, as opposed to electricity, which doesn't. Um, he economically became far more successful. Um, he has cows, and you know um, that's where that's a very important part of his um, his livelihood. Um, they he would so they would need to feed the cows grass, and before he had to manually cut and go prepare it for for feed and there's only so much time he could do that instead he created he he bought a mechanical muscle effectively a machine where you could just throw in the grass and it could chop it up and instead of and chop it up far more um finely far more correctly and it could do it hours on end as opposed to for a few hours and stop so he had far more feed for the cows at far higher quality they grew to be far bigger far fatter they produced far more milk which meant directly his revenues went up because it was able to run that with electricity. So again, this win, 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 win. Um, I asked him the question at the end. So if someone said that they were going to take away your hydro and or the mining that allowed you to subsidize the cost of that, 
um, what could you first see yourself going back to that world where without anything like I can't imagine that. I asked him how many people in the in the community are now on electricity, and he said now um, it, we're at sort of he he doesn't know, but like ninety nine percent was a number, but I almost everybody. And then finally, would you uh, would you um, what would you do if someone tried to stop take that away from you? <laughs> Basically, the point is it would be it would be over his dead body. You know this that that system is going to be protected to the he, death. He's going to die on why that would hill. Take, He's, yeah, because he literally, you're asking him to take this massive step back in the quality of his life, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so it, it, it's it's just not going to happen. Well, I think so, that's what. Sorry, Dan. No, go ahead, please. I, I think that's what we we often we so often forget in you know societies that have more capital infrastructure already built. It's that we're used to always on the internet, always on power. Um, and we we forget how much it brings us. Um, we had a nationwide power outage in Kenya two days ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second one we've had in like three months. It, it's not that common. Usually it's like once every year you'll get something that's nationwide. Uh, we've had twice now. Um, and, and you realize there's all these little things that you take for granted, right? Um, and it could be cooking because you're used to cooking on an electric stove. Uh, it could be... Um, you know, yeah, it's harder to read by candlelight. Uh, it could be that, you know, it's it's less safe because you're now walking down the street with fewer lights around you, um, you know, all kinds of different things. And, um, but, but, but more importantly, we forget how much manpower we, we give away to, or, or we take advantage of electricity for in our daily lives. And um, and what it means when you don't when you don't have it, the stark difference. And so, you know, we get that from time to time in the Western countries. You'll see some sites, um, some locations go down for power and people are up in arms. They don't know what to do with it. Um, I'm going to tell you a little anecdotal story, though. Um, we I was shoot, must have been eight years ago. I drove down to South Africa and back from Kenya. And when we get to South Africa, um, they had power outages. Now we get power outages much more than they did did in South Africa, at least at that time. Nowadays, South Africa is getting 12 hours of curtailed energy uh, countrywide, right? So they're actually mm. worse than many other countries in Africa right now. It's it's really bad. Um, but they, at that point, in I think it was like 2014, uh, 2015, somewhere in there, they hadn't really had to deal with it yet. So when the when the stoplights went off, they didn't know how to drive anymore. You know, people didn't know what to do when you come to. Now in Kenya, we had had enough power. We know what to do when the lights go off. Um, we had our Land Rover up on on hydraulics in a garage, and they were changing the tires for us. The power went out, and they didn't have a backup generator. And the guy was like, "Well, when the power comes back on tomorrow, you can come back and get your truck." We're like, "Oh, really? Right?" And so these are the things that people don't think. Think about right when you when you when you live in a world that doesn't have consistent electricity, it changes the way you can operate. Um, and when you can rely on an external partner who's like a, a grid provider, national grid provider, something like that is this is pretty consistent. It changes the way you can live versus those who live in an intermittent or non-existent point, uh, place with electricity. And so I think I think we often forget about that. By the way, two two days ago, as the power was off in Nairobi, and everybody was you know, you know, complaining about it on social media, the you know the I don't know sixteen hundred families or two thousand families that were on the mini grid in in rural Kenya had no problem at all. 
Yeah, they didn't know what was going on. <laughs> They're just going around their, their daily business. So they have sovereign power. So, yeah, they are self sovereign, right? They're a self sovereign community uh, over their power. Now, I'm wondering uh, obviously, this must go hand in hand, this project, with, with what you're trying to achieve at Feddy, Obi. So, is, is there now kind of a um, what's the What's the roadmap for getting the community up to speed with uh, education around Bitcoin and what Bitcoin can can mean for them as a community? So um, I think the general, in terms of the roadmap for that, I'm not going to talk about anything that today. Um, I, you know, you know, um, I, we're great believers in proof of work, so we'll just continue where we'll talk about that. Close yep. to the time, but more generally, um, I think that uh, it's um, what I realize that the opportunity that you have with um, communities um, like the first community and, and others around around the world. Actually, it's not a, just a Bitcoin thing; it's not just a, an Africa thing. Is um, for what um, I. I coined um, as uh, Bitcoin frontier towns. So the idea would be that these were would be like um, frontier towns in in the Wild West of uh, days of yore, where um, they were they were they were young, vibrant towns had a, a ton of potential, um, and they needed a, a few pieces of infrastructure and as a base. So. They needed a way to have energy and the, the way they would do that before would be the mining of coal and, and oil. What you're seeing here is um, using hydro or solar to, to give you your power. Then they needed, um, there was some wealth generating assets. So that was the mining of, of gold or silver. Again, here in this modern equivalent, you have Bitcoin, you know, this digital gold and much more. Um, freedom finance, you know, this meritocratic money. Um, then you need, with all this wealth being generated, you need a way of managing that and holding that. So you would have these banks, these, these um, town in these in these towns popping up. Um, and that's where um, Fedimint as this community custody uh, platform um, and Feddy as this uh, company that's dedicated to empowering communities everywhere with, with Fedimint can can um, provide that to users and they'll provide it in a way where very often as as eric said they may not even be aware that they're using bitcoin they they don't need to be aware that they're using it to benefit from it but they will be using bitcoin because that is the base platform that makes the most sense and that's why if we want to empower communities we need to use the right tools and that is the right tool um and then finally you need connectivity. So again, you need before you would have stagecoaches and railway roads. And now, in this environment where you're already living in paradise, you just need to bring the information to you through the internet. Um, and again, uh, it, it, this is why it was so um, um, serendipitous and so fortunate. I, I happen to um, know some of the foremost experts in building decentralized um, um, internet across Africa. And one of them is on this call. And he has a great hairstyle, similar to mine. <laughs> <laughs> <Barber>. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> so that that was one of my actual questions here, Eric. Like, what's the background story? Like, where where have you been? What have you been doing before uh, Gridless? Yeah. So, um, background story is I I grew up in in East Africa between Sudan and Kenya. Um, came back after university and started building software companies in in Kenya. Uh, built the iHub here, which is the big kind of tech community space. And then um, in 2013, I got this itch around trying, uh, I was trying to scratch around hardware and in building it locally for our local contest, because I didn't feel like the um, the hardware built for connectivity was designed for the African environment. And so um, Philip, who's current business partner um, and myself, started building a company called Brick alongside another guy named Reg. And um, and the company is called uh, BRCK or Brick. And what we did is we we built hardware, um, design engineered here in, in Kenya, and then started to deploy that uh, and just sell it. And we realized like just selling hardware is not a good business. It's linear at best. Um, and especially if you're coming from a place that has a, a little bit more constrained supply chain and things like that. Um, and so started saying, well, actually, what if we leveraged our hardware to actually solve the real problem, which is how do you get people connected to the Internet? Mm-hmm. Uh, not just provide the best and most reliable way to connect to the Internet, which is a better piece of hardware for our environment, but actually utilize that piece of hardware to provide a platform for people to do so. Um, so over the years, we developed a couple of different things. I actually have one next to me. Um, one of those devices, the kind of industrial grade one is this uh, super brick. So this is aluminum you know ip68 you know waterproof device that you can put in transportation you can put on the side of a building you can put up on a tower and it just it can do all kinds of really amazing connectivity because it's uh it's actually a microserver um so we started to deploy those all around kenya rwanda uh we're opening up a couple of new countries and um and uh, then we ended up we ended up growing it to a certain level uh, COVID hit, it hit, hurt the business. We ended up selling the business. And then we started looking at else, what else we could do. We're like, well, we know software, we know hardware, we know infrastructure in Africa. Um, one of the big problems we'd always seen is that if you want to have a, a 21st century economy, you need to have power and connectivity. Those are the two things that, you know, allow you to be a part of, of the, of the world. Um, and so we looked at connectivity for so long and we knew it so well but we also knew that a lot of the places we went didn't have good energy. Um, and at the same time, for the decade prior, we've been thinking about Bitcoin, but never done anything with it. And so we started putting these these things together and realizing, oh, actually, we might be some of the best people um, to do this business because we, we have a background in boots on the ground infrastructure rollout in Africa. And that's... It's critical. Uh, it's not. It's not like anywhere else you have uh, you've seen uh, done uh, infrastructure rollouts. I'm sure, um, and and we understand hardware, which is the other critical component. And I can tell you, a Bitcoin miner is a lot less complicated than our super brick device, right? Like it's it's so much easier. Um, we were able to bring in some of our own uh, tech guys who used to work for us at Brick. They are now our junior technicians, our senior technicians who helped us build out, you know, battery software integration with the miners. They're the guys who help us repair them when they break. Um, so we already have that network of people who can do these things. 
Um, it, it just, it, it ended up working out well. So that's how, that's how we kind of back ended into this. I should tell the Genesis story though, um, of it, which is in 2014, uh, 2014. Mm-hmm. So, um, in 2014, Kenya had done a deal to get, um, about 300 megawatts of, of, uh, wind power developed up in Northern Kenya. And it was, um, it was, it was amazing. I mean, this, this is some of the best wind country in the world. Uh, it is some of the most, it's just amazing wind country. And, uh, they'd done a deal that was, uh, taken pay, which means that whether the government, uh, uses it or not, they have to pay for it. Right. So the government had done this deal and there was no transmission lines and mm-hmm. there's like 500 kilometers of transmission line needed before it could be put into the grid. So for six or seven years, there was no way to get this 300 megawatts to the rest of Kenya. Now, we all had to pay for that because our, our bills were higher because, because of this, right? And we, we still suffer from a little bit of that today. Um, but in 2014, Philip, my business partner, was looking at it. He was like, why don't we go put some Bitcoin miners up there and just do a deal with them for a super cheap power? Because they literally were pushing it back into the ground and, and just that was where the energy was going, right? <laughs> And we were like, and I was like, Philip, we just got financing for this new company. We just got, you know, some money. We need to focus on building brick, right? And so we did. Uh, but it used to keep coming up over and over again. So this had been in our head for, you know, almost a decade by the time we 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 sold brick and we're thinking about it again. And so uh, we've gone through a couple phases of it. Um, and I was like, you know what? We're not going to not do this again. Uh, we come, we, there's a good financial model for it. There's a good economic model for it. There's a good, um, there's a good community model for it. Uh, there's no reason not to do this. Let's see if we can find the right partners who will, will come on board and, and, um, help us, help us raise the money to do it. And that's where Obi and the rest came in. So the actual rabbit hole story for you, like what was the first touch point of Bitcoin and, and peering into that, uh, that weird and wonderful world. Uh, 2010. Um, we, you know, I was the founder of the iHub in Nairobi, the innovation hub. And um, I won't tell the total background story because I'm not sure they would appreciate it. But let's just say that we got Google to sponsor us building a supercomputer cluster. Um, and so we had all this equipment. I brought it into the country and we built our own little supercomputer. And we... <laughs> And Bitcoin, you know, we're in the tech world. It's all deep tech guys, software engineers, you know, um, guys who are kind of into that stuff. So we knew about Bitcoin. And um, at the time, I was like, listen, we're not running this thing at night. In our building, we don't have to pay for power. Why don't we just run it um, and just run some Bitcoin on it? And for me at that time, I I didn't really think of Bitcoin as money yet. I thought, oh, that'd be a fun story to say these guys, you know, these guys in Kenya are mining Bitcoin with this with this little supercomputer that they have. And, um, you know, I never, I never really followed up with the guys. I said it once or twice, but never really ran into it. Cause I was just, I wasn't sold on it. And I was thinking of it as a story rather than, than as a, an actual thing that needs to be done. And so we didn't do it. And, um, yes, I've had many regrets since that time. Um, but <laughs> oh. that was my first touch point with Bitcoin. And we would have thousands a week at that point. <laughs> oh. oh my God. 50 yeah. Bitcoin. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was back in the 50 Bitcoin per 10 minute days. <laughs> yeah. And you had a supercomputer just sitting there without any of that. Oh. Like literally not running for probably 18 hours a day. 
with power already paid. Oh. Anyway. Yeah, mistakes were made. Oh well. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Opportunity cost uh, takes on a whole different meaning when you when you start applying the mathematics to what could have been with that. Holy shit! Yeah. Uh, well, you know, actually, we should, the, we the reason why. Ideas. Well, this was this was IHUB, and the reason I, I think that the biggest regret for me on that is that if we had done that, it wasn't going to be my Bitcoin. It was going to be our Bitcoin. It was a community thing. I have was run by the community. Uh-huh. That meant if we had, if, right, there's always the ifs. Uh-huh. If we had done that, that probably would have financed the startups coming from Kenya for the next 50 years, Yeah, right? Um, because that's who was coming through. That was our community. Um, so, yeah, I mean, listen, lessons learned. Um, sometimes it's it's good to be early in on things, especially when the opportunity cost is so low. Um, almost non-existent, you know, you should try things. And I think, I think that's, that's one of the, the, the things I walked away from that with is that, you know, when there's new things out there, you should dig into them and, and see if you can make something happen with it. Um, you know, and, you know, right now we're late to the game, if you consider it against all the other Bitcoin miners out there. Um, but there's still a, in our world, there's still at least a viable economic model for it. And so we're still super excited about it. And we're glad we're finally doing it, even if it's, you know, a little late. Well, so you had that touch point and then the uh, the 300 kilowatts, I think you said, at uh, the wind farm touch point. <laughs> and now you got this one. And so I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident you're not going to let this slip through your fingers. This is, this is the real uh-huh. deal. This is the one now, like uh, full yeah. guns blazing. Yeah, no, we're excited about it. Like it's, it's actually, quite frankly, it's one of the, funnest things i've been a part of in a long time right um and the reason why is because you can you know i think for anybody who creates something it's always it's always enjoyable when you can see the product that you have created it's like actually get it get hands on so like obi when you're when you're developing fetty and you actually get the app and you're playing with it for the first time it's like somebody who builds a house when they actually see the wall going up they're like okay and you get this you get this sense of accomplishment from that and, and that powers on um more more ideas more thoughts more excitement to build the next thing and so we get that we get that all the time here right where we you know we've got a couple sites in kenya um, we've got a, a site now in malawi um which has it's, i should tell you a funny story about that one uh, and then we have we have uh, a new site that'll be live in probably six to eight weeks in another country um that's fairly sizable that we like as well. So there's some really there's there's a lot of really big growth things happening, and that's that's always fun. So yeah, Malawi. Like I tell you some. So like, okay, we know connectivity pretty well. Um, when we were down in Malawi last month uh, installing the new site, one of the things we had to do was we had to take one of the power poles that was um, let's call it 600 meters away from the uh, the the powerhouse where the mining is happening. Um, and and use a power pole to connect to um, because of line of sight to connect to a, a mobile tower about three or four kilometers away because we had no way to get signal to that site. It was a dead site. Now we know connectivity, so it's not a big deal. We throw up uh, on top of that power line. Uh, we we put you know a solar panel, a backup uh, battery to run through the night, uh, long range um, over the air Wi-Fi. And then uh, a repeater to the to the air to the um, mobile operator, and set it up in a couple hours. Works great. We have connectivity to the site. We're not thinking anything else of it. 
good rural community. They love their energy. Uh, the community that we are working with has a great power provider, a mini grid power provider that works closely with the community. All the elders and chiefs and everybody's on board with each other. Like, great. Two weeks later, I, you know, the site goes down. We just see everything go red. Boom. In the middle of the night, we're like, <laughs> what happened? Right. And it's one thing if the site goes down for, you know, a little bit because things happen. It's Africa. Right. Um, but it's another thing if it goes down, it's still down eight hours later. Right. So somebody goes out there. Well, it's not just us. The power for the whole site, the whole community had gone down because some guy came in there with a machete and cut down the whole power pole. Um, so I've got these pictures of this <laughs> power pole just like on the grass. And they sold, they, 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 they knew there's a battery there and they stole the battery, not the uh -huh. solar panel, not the, not the, not the over the air links, um, but just the, the battery. So we had to get a replace and everything. And the, and the community came together to find the culprits and, you know, um, kind of handles it like African communities do. And, um, which is good, by the way, they, you know, they come together, everybody knows who does things, they find people and they get taken care of. But it's like you have to deal with that kind of problem. But the problem here is is not as simple as if this is in, uh, you know, Europe or the U.S., which is you can just go down to the store and get a replacement part. Well, it takes us a little while to get um, that new battery. It takes us a little while to get some of the connections that were stolen as well. And so, you know, it takes us like five, six days before we're able to get that site live again. And, um, you know, these are the issues that we have to deal with sometimes. Um, needless to say, uh, I am very excited about Starlink in Africa. Um, they're just going live now. And so we already have, uh, I think, five units on their way here. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. Uh, by next month, um, you know, Malawi, Kenya, uh, a couple other countries will be live uh, on our side with Starlink. Great. Oh. That's going to change a lot. Perfect. Well, uh, Lauren's just uh, entered the room. Uh, Eric, um, you don't know Lauren. Lauren, uh, she usually asks the first question, but she was uh, tied up. Yeah, but, uh, I was worried what's happened. Yeah. You're back. <laughs> yeah, well, I only, I only got like 10 minutes, so. so uh, right, okay, oh. then get into it. Fire away with your questions. So uh, how many Bitcoin miners do you have? Like the ASICs, the actual yeah. uh, machines. Right, okay, yeah. good question. Um, so we have currently running say 150 Bitcoin miners running right now. We have a lot more that are on their way here, but are not live yet. By the way, my eldest daughter is also named Lauren. So good name. <laughs> it's good to know. I don't really meet that many Laurens. So is that, a, it, how many would go into like, the, like the box that uh, Obi so eloquently described to us earlier, how many would be in one of those units? So, right. It's a math thing, right? So um, we'll have a site like the one he was describing, our first site that has about 20 kilowatts of extra energy. So each each um, mining machine for us is about 3.4 kilowatts. So that means six miners uh, were in that site. Uh, so six computers were in that uh, in that turbine room. Uh, meanwhile, we have another 300 kilowatt site. So in that in that mining location, we have just over 90 miners. All right. That was a good question. That was, that, yeah, that's a good number. For are they are they all uh, brand new machines, or are you in the secondhand market? How are you sourcing them? Yeah, largely secondhand. Um, we've been the beneficiaries of um, a lot of uh, a lot of issues that other larger miners have had in the U.S. and mm -hmm. and other parts of the world over the last uh, six months. 
And do you only stick to a particular machine or you'll get whatever you, you can? Can you mix machines in the, in the boxes? What, what's the best practice? So best practice is probably not to mix machines. You could. Um, but what we do is we stick with what's minor. So um, what's minor is much more environmentally friendly in Africa than uh, ant minor. So we don't do any, any bit main. Um, we, we use what's minor kind of M30S's, M30S++, M50s, a couple M50s. Those are expensive. We don't have very many of those. Um, and uh, what we try and do is, is stick to one type. So for repairs, for connection types, uh, we can we can then, you know, it's a little, the supply chain to get to us is, is expensive and further than most people. And so we, it's easier if we stick to a, a specific uh, manufacturer. All right. Now, any other questions? Why don't I ask you a um, usual question, both to Obi and to Eric? Okay, well, um, what's your favorite thing about Bitcoin? Obi, you want to go first? Or? Eric, I'll let you go first. <laughs> <laughs> what's my favorite thing about Bitcoin? Um, my favorite thing about Bitcoin is that you can see in Africa how it actually can be used uh, in a day-to-day -day setting, not just... Um, saved uh and and the reason uh, so it can be it can be saved as well but the reason it can be used is we we have a lot of friction in um in payments especially across borders um or even using banks and so finding new ways that people can buy and sell things uh, provide services to each other I think that's probably one of the most interesting things about bitcoin and and it's value in Africa is that it, it can be used rather than just held. Yeah, great answer. And my favorite thing, I mean, there's many, but the one that comes to mind this time um, is it's just the people. Um, the people that you meet, their mindset, their, their, their sort of philosophical beliefs. Um, I just came from a conference in, uh, in London called Advancing Bitcoin. And there's a highly technical community, but there are people who are coming along who are not so technical, but still want to learn. And there are no airs and graces. People go to the pub together or get a pizza together. Even me, who tends to not have too much carbs um, and just chat. Um, even though some of these people are, are, are like essential to building the core fundamental code of Bitcoin. They'll happily chat with someone and explain Bitcoin in, in any level. And it's just a really, really nice, um, um, nice sort of culture, a nice sort of a mindset to the people here. And, and I think if you if if that's a testament to the philosophy of Bitcoin and the, t the people it tends to attract and the people it tends to repel um, or convert, I think eventually if you're in Bitcoin long enough, you start to take on these characteristics as well. I know I have improved as a person for being because of Bitcoin. That's a pretty common answer, actually, right. isn't it? Yeah. That's 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 what I answer actually. Yeah. Final, final, that is Lauren's own answer. <laughs> that's her favorite thing about Bitcoin: the people she's met when we go to the conferences, and uh, obviously three hundred and. 20 odd podcasts that uh, that we've done together um yeah there's uh it's the the social layer as uh, it's be, becoming to be known um you know it, 
Nick Batia talks about layered money, which is a, a perfect analogy, but like this, this, this social layer, which again, Fediment is a perfect example of that. And what you're doing at Gridless, right? Uh, that uh, Building these communities and improving 2000 families' lives, uh, that that improves society. Yeah, it's, 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 I think one of the nice things about it is you can see the results pretty quickly. And um, and people can see the results in their own lives pretty quickly too. Well, thank yeah. you, Lauren. Yeah, thank you. Bye. You're gonna run off again. Yeah. Bye. Busy day today for you. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so before that, we were talking about your funny story in Malawi. Yes. Um, yeah, Starlink. That's where that's where we before we got uh, interrupted. It's funny. I was going to ask you about that because I wanted to know from somebody in the know like yourself that's actually built hardware and you know understands connectivity. Um, what your take was on Starlink? Whether this is a, a, a real thing, it seems to be, or um, whether it's kind of uh, one of Musk's kind of like uh, big marketing campaigns, like his famous solar roof tiles which we still have never seen ever again <laughs> so what, what's going on yeah so we've known the starling guys for a number of years from the brick day so we um and we've we've um you know we've we've looked into their into their stuff for a long time and i can say um it's it's legit it's real and um they have a different way about thinking about connectivity than a lot of the other satellite companies well than every other satellite company in the world. Um, and they, and more importantly in Africa, have the ability to break the stranglehold that mobile operators have on the continent. And um, that's, a, that's an important thing. So how that happens right now seems, seems pretty simple. You're seeing, you know, the ability to get the transmitters and, um, and deploy them, it'll cost you a hundred dollars or, you know, depending on this, on the, on the type you get, um, up to two, I think 2,500 for the enterprise grade one. And, um, but from that you can, you can get some really reliable connectivity in your non-urban environments, which the urban environments are already overrun with mobile operators and ISPs. They don't need it as much anyway. Right. But what do you do is you break the monopoly that these guys have in the other parts of the continent. Um, and you, and you bring, uh, connectivity to places, good connectivity to places, that um, that haven't ever had it, and um, so we we always used to be uh, we'd always buy backhaul from different organizations, whether they're mobile operators or ISPs or satellite companies, and um, and I think the special thing about what Starlink is doing is first of all it's it's making it accessible where it was never made accessible before at a commercial as well as a retail level, and then second what they're doing is. If you have one of these devices, you could easily set up an access point and resell that connectivity inside your own community. And that brings um, that second layer that's needed. Remember, I was talking about 21st century villages need power and connectivity. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we're not doing this yet because we're trying to do one thing at a time, which is get our mining operations running smoothly, all that other stuff. But um, I see a real future where we help the community get their connectivity done in a way that's a lot less expensive. And um, there's whole models around this that are needed. And I think um, this is actually, I think this is where the, the touch points between 
uh, what Gridless does and our background around connectivity, as well as what Fedi does and is trying to connect the, that community to Bitcoin and um, and markets for their time uh, become really interesting because there's no markets for time to earn Bitcoin unless you have connectivity. And that's what's been missing. And, and there's no way that people can buy Bitcoin. Take that back. There is there are some USSD ways uh, to do it now. It's very difficult to on-ramp into Bitcoin, though, if you don't have the internet and you can't afford it. Mm -hmm. A lot of places you go in Africa, you'll have... Um, can I, uh, I can geek out on some numbers with connectivity if you want in Africa. Do you want me to geek out on those for a second? Okay. Please do. So, okay. In any country in Africa, you're going to have about... Um, about forty percent of the people who in the in the in the country have smartphones. That goes up or down, kind of depending on on the uh, the country. But let's call it forty percent to be on the upper bound. And um, but what most people don't think about, sorry, one other thing is that in any one of these countries, you might have up to ninety percent uh, data connectivity around the country. So you're thinking, well, if they have data connectivity, and you know a, a chunk of them have smartphones, how come more aren't connected? Because you can have access, but that's separate than from affordability. And most people don't have the um, the disposable income to get online. So what what happens then? So they they probably if they have a smartphone, they're keeping it disconnected most of the time, or they're keeping the the data powered off and just use it as a mobile phone uh, most of the time. Except for maybe on Sundays, where the, everybody in the family turns on data and does WhatsApp. Right. That's a very, very common um, way of, have, of of communities using the data where they maybe turn it on to check out what the Premier League scores were for that that day. Um, it's but it's it's very short bursts of data. And that's because of affordability. So what you really need is a way for people to use their time to get online instead of their money. And as as they're able to get their um, as they as they see the ability for them to get online, they buy more smartphones. I remember going into one, bringing connectivity into a village in Rwanda uh, years ago, and there was one phone in the village. At the end of the first month, there was 30 phones because people realized they could now afford to be online. That's the first level you have to get to before you can even buy Bitcoin, right? Is you need to know that you can get to that place and even be able to afford the devices and the connectivity to do so. There's some really great stuff going on um, in, in uh, you know, we've had Kagotso, um, you know, making Machankura in um, in South Africa. And now it's in eight countries and you can use USSD codes. Uh, so your star number, number, number hash to um, to buy Bitcoin. Um, but I think that's to spin Bitcoin, I mean, uh, and to use it. But it's not to, it's not an on ramp yet. And you're not really going to get that big uptake of of people using bitcoin until they until they have meaningful kind of always on connectivity that they can afford yeah that's um hang on a second can you still hear me yeah i can still hear you yeah. can you hear me yeah i can i've got you yeah we got all of that uh we've just lost obi for some reason um i'll look out for him on the uh i was yeah, gonna throw it over to obi because of what i know they're building on fetty is like perfect for that yeah, like know. he's disappeared on us <laughs> is it well like what i know they're doing at fetty is part of what they're doing is creating a like a a, a library of different um applications that others can build that allow people to earn uh bitcoin right and they can earn it in their local e-cash equivalent which um is is important because 
their local e-cash equivalent could just be the currency, you know, in their head. So in South Africa, it could be the rand, in Malawi, it could be the kwacha, and Kenya, it could be the shilling. And, and, you know, that allows people to kind of see and understand it in their own context as a way they can spend it now, right? But um, to earn it, uh, uh, creating ways for people to earn that, um, you know, that money um, in a global market can only be done once you have that that connectivity at a decent scale. Right. Well, Obi was trying to get back in. He's he's clearly having some technical problems. So uh, I'll just I'll keep an eye on uh, on when he he's able to get oh. back in, and we'll we'll shoot that we'll shoot that over to him. But uh, I should just say that um, I want to I want to make a call out that we have connectivity in Kenya while he's losing in the UK. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I'm saying ours is better all the time, but it is today. <laughs> Right, it, it's not it's not a big surprise. And um, to what you were saying earlier about losing power, <clears throat> happens here a lot in France. It's it's just crazy. Really? Yeah. You, oh yeah. Um, and when did this happen? About four weeks ago, we had a uh, some snow. It wasn't crazy. Some snow. We had power outage like immediately because none of the infrastructure around our part of, uh, of France could handle it. All the poles started snapping and falling over. Like we okay. still have a pole lent up against the tree like, with, with with an orange vest wrapped around the middle of it and some of the uh, the red and white tape just to like, I think the farmer's done it. So the energy company hasn't even got out to fix that yet. Like don't, don't think we are living in first world countries over here, folks. It's ridiculous. You're saying you're regressing as we're progressing? Yes. Look at Germany. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it is surprising, right? I mean, I think I think there's any 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 energy company or any energy distributor is gonna have to deal with like things that come up with, you know, trees falling or ice or whatever on the lines. Like that's fine. The time it takes to fix it is the difference between um, I think the the you know the the first world versus the third world view of things and mm-hmm. and also our view of time right mm-hmm. like um, time in Africa is seen not as linearly as the West and um, and so things can be a little loose around the edges when it comes to to fixing things like power poles going down or but but it sounds like maybe the French are much more like Africans than uh, <laughs> than you would have thought in that they're just letting it sit there. Oh man, it's taken for weeks. And Obi, how, how's your how's your internet connection in the, the first world country of uh, the United Kingdom? Uh, I I hope it's I hope it's better. Um, <laughs> although the the thing I, I I've I've um, had the opportunity to travel a lot over the last um, six to twelve months, and I found that very often some of the some of the worst internet is in places like the United States and and North Northern Europe. For some crazy reason, um, there's a sort of sweet spot where, um, if you're in um, parts of Southern Europe or or um, some of the more developed um, or, or faster developing parts of Africa or Asia or Latin America, you have really good internet. Then, obviously, if you go to the extreme end, you have none at all. Um, but then if you now go to a place like central London, it's, it's the internet's really bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. Um, so yeah, Eric was just, uh, yeah. Waxing lyrical and you, you did, you were going to throw something across to Obi just as he yeah. dropped out. Uh, 
So if you yeah. want to go ahead and uh, just rephrase that. No, I was just talking, um, I was just talking about how people in these rural communities need, need to have ways to earn uh, money, earn their connectivity, earn whatever. They have time, but they don't actually have a lot of disposable income. And uh, I think that's where, you know, we had, we had talked about Fedi and the ways that you're going to allow other app developers and other um, features and services to be able to come in that that community could use. And I was I was excited about that because we'd been in that world before with Brick and we knew how to, you know, we knew how to do it. And then seeing it happen at this level using Bitcoin as the way that people could earn is, is I think, really exciting. Um, yeah. So that's what I was thinking about with Fedi. And I'll just catch the ball and uh, <laughs> and I'll, I'll run with it or take the bat on. Um, yeah, it's it's when we um, looked at different markets, um, and again, this is a global thing, but when we looked at, especially in, in Africa um, and Latin America, and we asked them, you know, what people were most interested in. Remittance was a big one. Um, they wanted to be able, and transferring value from one person to another who doesn't want lower costs, lower friction. But by far the most common search in in um, in the demographics, some of the demographics we were looking at in Africa, for example, were how to make more money, how to find a job, et cetera, how to improve their lives by working um, and, and, and finding ways to do that. So... Um, what we're seeing is that there are opportunities um, with organizations, for example, Stackwork, um, my another brother from another mother, Paul Itoy, um, yes. um, which allows you to, um, and you should talk to him. He's a great guy to talk to when He's you get awesome. a chance. Yep. Um, um, if you um, are able to perform a task on your mobile phone or computer, but many, if not all of them are on your mobile phone, and you get directly paid um, in Bitcoin over Lightning, um, which means that you can earn money even if you don't have a bank account, which is a lot of people. Um, and you can earn it directly. Um, and that's also very important from a from a cash flow point of view. Um, some of the organizations that we've been talking to um, have noted, for example, they're in the AI space or other areas where they need to create, um, to annotate or um, human annotate a lot of data. Um, they noted that many people um, value the fact that they can earn money. They can stream money, as it were. They can earn, and that same day, that same hour, they can they can um, get that money in their hands. When you don't have um, the luxury of of being able to build nest eggs where you can you can have a week or a month's worth of 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 capital available to you um you don't you don't always have the ability to wait till the end of the month before you get paid and therefore you have to take out loans which can have very high interest rates which lead which end up taking some of your capital now if you can earn and the same day you can go to lunch and you can pay from what you've earned only a few hours before, or at the end of the day, you can be heading home and you can buy the food you need for that day. It it removes your need for credit, which potentially could be a very high interest rate, giving you more disposable income. That very simple thing, 
uh, it by itself it increases your revenue. Plus, if you can now earn money for doing a digital job provided by someone anywhere in the world who potentially uh, therefore have the ability to pay you a higher amount than you could be paid locally, but you're no longer excluded by not by virtue of not having a bank account. Again, massive, massive um, way of leveling up um, your capabilities. So this is a thing that, you know, I'll be talking about it more and more, but one way or another, you know, we're, uh, as an industry, we're really interested and we should be focused on leveling up humanity wherever they are. Uh, and the way we do it is by empowering communities everywhere with, with Fediment. Um, the way Eric does it is by empowering communities in the global South in Africa and in so doing, empowering anyone everywhere with Bitcoin. And you're doing it by spreading the word about Bitcoin spreading that knowledge and therefore empowering people to take financial control of their future. Yeah, perfect. So I, I got to ask how much Bitcoin, how many sats is like this, this one that Obi talked about earlier, this flagship one, what's that bringing in Eric and what's the, the business model for, for gridless. Um, so yeah, I'd have to, I'd have to look it up, but it's got, you know, six, I think actually we upgraded it to 10 miners recently. Um, but anyway, let's say it's six miners still. Each miner, um, trying to think of the, the number in sats, it's uh, running, you know, we're running 30S++. Um, they are, gosh, I'd have to look up the numbers. I can't, I don't have them in front of me, but it's going to make us about $10 a day per machine, mm -hmm. right? And um, what we end up doing is, you know, we, we we end up doing a revenue share with a power provider. So uh, instead of paying a floor price, we we give some of the percentage to them. And uh, they can choose to either spot sell that and take that money in whatever currency they want, or they can hold on to it. And our, you know, we've encouraged them to hold on to it because we think that it's more interesting to make um multiples later as long as they're able to to cover their opex in the short term um and um yeah the plan is that we keep doing this so cluster around a few countries uh so that we can decrease our geopolitical um economic risks and um and then have a, a number of sites so what we have is there's a lot of strand energy in africa a lot because of the that you know aforementioned um not well connected grids we can't do all of them right so we can do some of them and we're gonna we're picking them and choosing them right now uh so we're going to continue to deploy our miners to these new locations uh like i said we have uh you know three mining locations currently we're probably going to have another two in the next uh two months and then maybe a, maybe a third one um maybe not a third one in the next two months as well. Um, I would hope by the end of this year that we are um, in four countries with maybe about uh, 20 different mining locations total. Um, those will range in size from 50 kilowatts up to uh, maybe one to two megawatts uh, at the larger size. So- yeah. I, And also when we say uh, flagship, it was it was one of the first. Uh, uh, flagship normally means one of the largest and uh, and uh, okay. fanciest, yeah. But it, it's definitely very historic. But it's 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 a, it's a 
it's a it's a small uh, um, deployment. Yeah, it's our, it's our version of a garage. <laughs> the 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 very first one. It's uh, yeah. I, I'm yeah. It could become a historical site in uh, in decades to come. What as you build this out? What what I'm interested in now, and perhaps a lot of people listening, uh, is how to help you. You know, as you grow, what kind of skill set are you going to be looking for? You know, uh, if any of the plebs out there are thinking this sounds amazing, I've got to get involved somehow. Uh, what's um, what's that looking like for you guys? Uh, yeah, I'm sure there will be some opportunities in the future as we grow. Um, we're, we're a pretty lean team, um, trying to keep it kind of tight uh, operationally. Um, but um, there'll be some opportunities out there. I think there might be some opportunities in the in the communities in those in the days and years ahead. Um, one of the things that we we were a part of from the very beginning, um, we launched it in in December with a bunch of other Bitcoin miners in Africa. There's other smaller miners in Africa already. is is called Gamma uh, Green Africa Mining Alliance, and you can find it at gamma.africa. The the reason we built that um, alongside these other miners is that there's a there's a lot of opportunity, and so part of our mission is not to just uh, do Bitcoin mining ourselves and earn Bitcoin. That's what we do as a company. We know we cannot address all the stranded energy in Africa, and we can't even uh, nor nor should we try. Uh, so there's these other guys out there who are already trying to do it as well. Um, they need help. Um, sometimes, sometimes they're small and trying to grow. Other ones are larger and they are already doing quite well. Like, you know, you see with Sebastian and his team in the Virunga, um, uh, park in, in the Congo. Um, they're, they're kind of well-established. Uh, you got Nemo in Ethiopia. You have, um, um, you have Simbola in Nigeria. You have different guys in different places, right? And trying to create a group that can share information. We have phone calls with each other every month um, where we share information about what we're doing, ask for help. Ask for, sometimes that's, hey, I need a supplier for X or Y. Uh, sometimes it's, hey, by the way, I've heard there's an opportunity over here. Does anybody want to go after it? Um, or, hey, there's an opportunity I can't do on my own. Does somebody else want to do it with, with me? Um, and so I would say the biggest thing we can do is is help decentralize the players in Bitcoin mining, um, spread it more widely, spread it more geographically. Um, and that means support more players coming into the market besides us five too. So I think the real thing that, whether it's plebs, whether it's in Africa or outside of Africa, whether it's uh, business people inside or outside of Africa is looking at how we can take these models of, and by the way, I'm, I'm, I've got this whole kind of blueprint in my head about how we do things that I want to like broadcast out to everybody and say, hey, this is how you can do this in other parts of the world or other parts of Africa too. Get that out to everybody so that there's more of this happening. It's the network is more decentralized. Um, the pools hopefully can get more decentralized and the individuals doing it are are different so that like it's, it actually becomes a security risk when there's one organization doing too much of it. So how can we get that further out there and, and spread it even wider? Of course, we want to be good at what we do. We want to grow to a certain scale. Um, the value of what we do is very, very high and the returns can be very high. Um, so we want to grow to a certain scale, but also realizing that we're part of a community and that it needs to, it needs to be um, broader than just us. Obi, I've got... Uh... 
a fun little thought experiment to 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 flesh out with uh, with both of you. Obviously, we've been talking about um, existing communities that have been benefiting from this technology. What about these areas that are completely uninhabited and people want to go and start, like uh, the idea of your frontier town, Obi, um, like the idea of a citadel uh, being completely uh, built around uh, this kind of initiative? So but the thought experiment is, could it be done? Or, mm. I mean, in theory, it could be done. Um, one thing that um, um, one thing that you would want to make sure is that um, the need for if you start with the power and and Eric can talk about this more than me, but the need for power should have a need that's separate to Bitcoin mining. So I it's it's harder financially to make it make sense if you're just producing power purely for Bitcoin mining. But if there is some sort of other use case, people need it for their, you know, for their houses and their and their um their lighting, etc. Or there is an industry that needs it for its for given purposes. That tends to make a very good marriage because then Bitcoin mining can come in and make that sort of cost-effective, viable, reduce the costs or make it possible. But you're now working in concert with an, an existing usage. Um, if you've got that element, then that would be, if you're sort of looking for locations, prospecting for locations, that would be a good a good touch point. Um, before there would have been, there would have been a, you know, a gold mine or, or an mm -hmm. oil well, and then things would build around there. Here, it's, 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 there's an economic energy there. You know, there's human capital or, or something there that 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 you already have, and you're and you're wanting to take that and just sort of supercharge it. Once you've got that, then you know, um, Feddy um, can come in and and help put Feddy Mint in place, um, so that all the uh, um, economic and not just it's not just money, but it's also your data as well. The data of the community, the images, the the videos, the the Nostra um, chats, and so on. If you have this decentralized world, you probably want, want that infrastructure as well uh, managed, and that can be all put in. So your your informational and value based and monetary value can all be managed, and uh, solutions like already we mentioned by Eric Starlink, local mesh networks, connectivity to the local grid. Could be added, and then you're you're ready to go. You just decide the you know the color of your the color of your walls, um, the style <laughs> of house, and and uh, and then you you have your citadel. Have you have do you have a place in mind specifically? Me, no, absolutely not. Uh, I I wonder if Eric does. I mean, he's seen a lot of stranded places and paradises and, and beautiful kind of vistas. Have you have you? gone down this kind of thought experiment yourself, Eric? Well, I mean, I'd, I'd be lying if I said I haven't, you know, debated with Obi about some of this stuff in the past, right? I think I think that what you need to make something like this work, let's say you have a, uh, I mean, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So um, sure, I'm going to be on the power and, and, you know, mining side of things. 
But I think if you have that, that's not enough. Um, you need to have a use of it. So like just in the old days, just like in the old days, if you're mining silver, you could spin that silver locally, right? Um, if you're mining gold, you could take that to the bar, you could take that to the store, and you could buy things with it. Um, we need to make sure there's a use case for the Bitcoin in the local community. And I think it starts actually, in a, I think it can start with the um, power provider themselves, uh, where you say, hey, listen, because not every country has a really good way for payments to happen, um, where where people and most people are are post sorry are prepaying on their electricity here. They buy you know you know ten kilowatts or buy it buy buy some amount of energy in advance. Um, so if you could say, hey, what if that could be paid with with Bitcoin uh, over Lightning? Uh, what if that was you know you know Fediment eCash kind of uh, play on it? That becomes interesting because then they're actually using it for one important thing in their life that they use every day, right? This is a this has become, you know, something that they need, not just want. And it's easier then to take that form of payment, um, that form of money, and apply it to something else in your own community, whether it's the store saying, "Hey, listen, you know, those same uh, that same type of money you pay for your power with, I will allow you to pay me for milk and bread now." And um, and if I, and and then I'll store up more of that, and and that becomes a uh, something interesting where you might be able to see a snowballing effect. But I think um, you know finding people, organizations who are willing to use that uh, money in their day to day interactions is what actually find the keystones in that in that in that community before you can really get the whole community to use it. But what I would say is, um, in terms of where, I mean, this could be, that's the beauty, this could be anywhere, in almost anywhere in the world. But um, the first time I went to Kenya, um, and we managed to uh, have a bit of a, um, a, um, a um, after seeing the, the, the location, we went on a, a, a very brief uh, safari as well. Um, I met um, um, I met Janet and and Phil for the first time in person. Um, I, I had some of the best meat I've ever had. It was really really nice. Sorry to my uh, relatives in in uh, in West Africa. <laughs> um, I um, I saw some of the sort of energy, but this was we also saw this in Ghana as well for Afro Bitcoin Conference. But just the the entrepreneurial technical energy on display in places like iHub. So I wouldn't, I, I, you couldn't go far, the summary is you couldn't go far wrong if, if you chose um, parts of Kenya as one of your starting bases. Yeah, I think that's true. Well, you're, you're biased though. <laughs> I'm, I'm not objective on this, but yes, I, that's true. Sounds like uh, I need to organize a family trip out to Kenya and, and come there and you uh, see yeah, you guys. You should, yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of cool stuff going. There's also really interesting people in the in the broader Bitcoin community here. You know, we have uh, Marcel who leads the Bitcoin Dada. You know, they train women on how to buy and sell and use Bitcoin. And you've got, you know, you've got Guantai who does the Bitcoin Mtani kind of translations of Bitcoin works into uh, local languages. Um, you've got a bunch of really cool stuff going on here. All right, guys. Well, this has been an excellent uh, introduction to Gridless. Thank you so much for, for coming on and talking about 
the you know the project and how it overlaps with Feddy as well, Obi. And I'm really looking forward to more announcements coming out from you about that. Uh, final question: If you had one last orange pill left to give to somebody, who would you give it to, and why? I'll start. Um, I'll start. Um, give uh, Eric a bit more time. Um, it's really simple. I mean, I, I now it's not going to be a, a famous person. It's going to be um, what I'm dedicating my life to. So it's going to be um, people living uh, their lives. What you would say as plebs, um, but I would just say you know everyday people who are the the sort of bedrock of society. I want to try and orange pill them one the time and to see that person who hasn't really thought about bitcoin using bitcoin and and then over a period of time realizing that the, that the thing that's improving their life is bitcoin so it's just the reverse orange pill i want to I see that happen more and more eric so yeah i actually think when an interesting yeah if i had a if i had a hundred percent win factor on that on that orange pill Sorry, doorbell. Uh, if I had a hundred percent win factor on that doorbell on the on the orange pill, <laughs> it would be that um, I would try and get the like the cabinet secretary for energy in Kenya. Um, and I, and the reason why is I think it'd be a it'd be an intelligent way for the state to hedge against um, the euro dollar and all of the players in that uh, without expressly going against it immediately. Right. Um, so, you know, there's so much that this country relies on the, you know, the IMFs and the World Bank for, which we all know is not always helpful. Um, and I think that the, that fighting it back against it directly is very difficult for a country to do. But I think if you were to start hedging with just stranded government uh, owned power, that could be pretty, pretty sizable in its effect. Uh, on that country over time. And a nice little way to end it there with uh, a slight nod again back to Alex Gladstein, whose piece he wrote on the IMF and the World Bank is absolutely incredible. And I think that's actually the next episode I'm about to drop. Uh, so by the time this is aired, if you've not listened to Alex Gladstein's art, uh, article by Guy Swan or read through it, definitely go and check that out because uh, we started talking about Alex and him introducing introducing you guys and uh his work as well um is is you know it's excellent uh, and with everything he's managed to achieve over the last couple of years uh educating people about bitcoin so how should people reach out to either of you if they want to learn more or if they've been inspired and they've figured out a way that they can uh help you in any way shape or form Sure. So um, the company is, is uh, on Twitter at, at Gridless Compute. Um, I'm on Twitter at White African, also on, on Noster. If you want to get in touch with me there and either of those. Uh, if you want to email me, it's just Eric, E-R-I-K, at gridlesscompute.com. Yeah. All right. And my one um, is, um, so for the company, it's at, on Twitter yeah, um, and it's at FediBTC. And I believe just today, but I need to get the URL. We've just set up a Nostra. And then on Nostra and on Twitter, I am just at OBI. Got it. Cool. 
All right, guys. Thank you so much. And uh, really looking forward to 2023. I think there's going to be some amazing news coming out and um, should uh, should tie in nicely with uh, the next pump. Bitcoin wins this year. <laughs> <laughs> See you later, guys. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Daniel. See you. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Obi, and thank you, Eric, for coming on the show. Thank you for everything that you are building and doing for and within the Bitcoin space. I hope you guys have just had your minds blown and are ready to get out there and start building whatever project you feel you can add value to, whether you start your own or whether you reach out to something like this or something else doesn't even have to be in mining you could be able to help out a podcast you could write a book you could write an article you can help in so many different ways but the only way you're going to escape that fiat job that you are trapped in is by reaching out in the first place so please do not hold back reach out to your bitcoiners find your people i was just in miami it was like being in a nuclear reactor of positive energy and ideas and hope and that might sound a little cliche to some of you who've not actually met another bitcoiner in real life yet or have not been to one of these conferences because they are life-changing if not life-making events uh, when when you realize you've just stood there for three hours talking to the same person about the most esoteric shit and you've only met each other that minute you realize the power of, of what's going on here and this idea of um, us being decentralized biomag biomagnetic nodes which i'm going to do uh, a bit of a series on i hope this is the year well obi said it this is the year that bitcoin wins this is the year that we truly build out the social layer of bitcoin so make sure you are getting out there you know the conferences they're coming up there's a lot of them around you can find all of these events on Orange Pill App. I said at the beginning of the show here, Orange Pill App is about finding the people around you and the events. Uh, get to BTC Prague. That's coming up just in a few weeks. You can use the code BITTEN for a discount on those tickets. Get across to Liberty Now Lifetime. That's not purely Bitcoin. That is parallel structures that is put on by the Free Cities Foundation. This could be your gateway to another way of thinking about living. Uh, make sure you're stacking sats. Obviously, Swan Bitcoin across there, across the pond in the US. They're going to be throwing Pacific Bitcoin. I think it's October this year. Uh, make sure you check it out. Um, if, they've, if they've launched tickets, try the code Bitten or try the code Princey. See if there's anything laying around on the discount. I'll speak with Corey and the, and the gang to see if there's anything that can be done there. Make sure you're stacking with Coin Corner in the UK or Europe. Relay, if you want to download an app and start stacking up to 1,000 euros or Swiss per day, uh, no KYC, get going. Why wouldn't you just start stacking immediately? Uh, that app can be downloaded very quickly. Hodl Hodl have you covered with non-KYC, Bitcoin global peer-to-peer -peer and lending platform. This is something Max started talking about a little bit more. Max is running uh, Hodl Hodl and they have their peer-to-peer -peer lending that is live. You'll be talking about more of that, I'm sure. Uh, over the next few months and definitely the Baltic Honey Badger where you can get a discount now 10% off if you use the code BITTEN if you hit the link in the show notes get your tickets for Riga 3rd of September uh, shiftcrypto.ch forward slash BITTEN use the code BITTEN and you will get 5% discount 
on that Bitbox O2 hardware wallet. That is what you need for your cold storage. And don't forget, if you want to start looking into coin joining, if you've got an existing stack and you want to up the privacy on that, if you're changing wallets from one wallet to another, because I know a lot of you out there have lost faith in one of the wallet providers, I won't mention any names. Uh, if you're getting a new one, Shift Crypto obviously have got you with the Bitbox. You can use that code for 5% off. If you want to try CoinJoin whilst you are making that change, uh, you can use wasabiwallet.io. Just download that software, set up your first wallet, and just make a, a few transactions first of all so you can get the feel of it. And I'm sure um, that will push you off in the right path of doing your own research into coin joining and best practices. All of that said, I'll be in Prague in June with the kids. Come say hi. Really looking forward to it. There's going to be a gaming lounge run by my son and uh, Nathan's son from BTC Maps. Go and play Sats, man. We're going to have some prizes to give away for those of you that get the highest scores. And it's all in aid of teaching the kids and everybody else about Bitcoin. Thanks for listening. Catch you on the next show.